Get a jump start on 2024 in a new Kia from Robert Brogdon's Olathe Kia. Shop their large selection, including the new Sorento, Nero, and Soul models. You'll score big with low prices, trade assist cash, and a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit OlatheKia.com. Garrettson and Toth presents The Shift with Jack Johnson on ESPN Kansas City, 1510 a.m. and 94.5 FM. We are back with another week of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 a.m. ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Jake Gutierrez. Well, with it being another week... It's another Monday in which we get to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs because they are still breathing after the way they dismantled Miami on Saturday night, 26-7. In all honesty, that game was never really close. Now, at one point, it was 10-7 after Miami scored, but Miami's defense couldn't really stop Kansas City's, even though the Chiefs struggled in the red zone. Uh, they weren't forcing many three and outs they weren't forcing any punts Kansas City didn't even run the ball that effectively with Isaiah Pacheco was more of throwing the ball in the air early on and that's what Andy Reid alluded to in the post-game press conference that he thought Miami wouldn't expect them to throw and what they do on the first drive they went out slinging it and Rasheed Rice who had a career day eight catches for 130 yards and a touchdown he had the Chiefs only touchdown uh through the air because Isaiah Pacheco scored the final one of the day on the ground. As for the rest, it was just Harrison Butker uh, kicking some gimme field goals. Uh, Nothing too crazy, the long of 32 on the night. But the Chiefs did exactly what Jake and I said they should do going into this game. Win it with your defense. Uh, There was not a need to get into a shootout with Miami, even though Miami's offense in the past had really shown that they could be explosive. It was just not the weather. It was not the team uh, that really favored them, or I should say the opponent that favored them. Miami was so banged up, they couldn't play in cold weather, and I was there at the game on Saturday night, and believe me, it was bitterly cold. Even if you did bundle up, even if you had hand warmers, even if you were drinking, it was still incredibly cold. I mean, there were pictures... Uh, circulating through Twitter on Saturday night. I mean, beers that were open in the upper deck. You know, if you didn't clean them off or your beer had spilled a little bit or it was fizzing over, it froze within about a minute, a minute and a half. That's how cold this game was. And the reality was Miami never felt comfortable. From the get-go, that looked like a team that was not uh, enjoying their time there. Whereas Kansas City, uh, they were much more of the mindset of we're going to use this weather to our advantage. It was very telling that with these two quarterbacks, Tua Tungaviola and Patrick Mahomes, one of these quarterbacks did not have to alter how he played, uh, how the plays were called. No, if anything, we saw Patrick Mahomes throw the ball down the field a little bit more. Tua with the exception of one broken play in the Chiefs' secondary, secondary where Tyree Kill came open a little bit, two is still under through the ball, but that actually worked to Tyree Kill's benefit. That was the only time Miami's offense looked, quote-unquote, explosive. Other than that, 
it was a team that had to rely on pop passes, the pitch play we talked about with Achan and Mostert. It was just not a smooth-flowing offense. Tua completed just over 50% of his passes, quarterback rating below 65. He had an interception. He was sacked twice in this game. The running game could not do anything. I mean, here's the crazy thing. For Achan, who has been uh, the star in the backfield, I know Mostert's had a great year, but six carries for nine yards for Achan. Mostert, eight for 33. They could not do anything on the ground. Now, Tyreek Hills, we mentioned, he had that long catch of 53 that scored the Dolphins only seven of the night. But he only had five for 62. You know, you look at somebody like Jalen Waddell, two for 31. Now, Cedric Wilson, three for 37. Craycraft, two for 33. Just nobody really stood out for this Miami offense. And when you're relying on your defense to keep you in it, it's just a recipe for disaster. It really was. And it is weird because I think everybody last week looked at that Dolphins and Bills game and said, please, 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 Miami, win this football game. Win this football game so the Chiefs can get the Steelers, and that is as close to a bye as you could really get. But did we ever think about with the injury concerns, the weather. Maybe Miami in the end was the better draw. I don't want to disgrace them that much and say that they were as good as a buy. But almost no stat, no numbers, backed up the fact that they could play and win this game at Arrowhead Stadium. And that's what Jake and I both discussed all week long. Those factored into our projections. This game was never really threatening. You know, at the game on Saturday night, I never sat there and thought, well, if the Chiefs don't convert here or if they don't score here, Miami's going to have a chance. It was the first game all year, really, that I watched the Chiefs kick so many field goals and I was fine with it. And I was telling people, telling my friends in the stands, that in playoff games, you just take points in games like this. Miami's not going to score a ton. So you just keep padding it on. And even though Miami's defense can look at that as a win, hey, Kansas City didn't get into the end zone, you can only bank on the field goals not being enough for so long. You know, when the Chiefs were up 10-7, yeah, field goal, settling for a field goal may not sound great, but it still forces Miami to go all the way down and score a touchdown to take the lead. Then Kansas City gets another field goal before half, and now it's a two-score game. And even though the third field goal made it 19-7, to it's still a two-score game, but now you can't drive down, get a touchdown, and then rely on a field goal. Now you got to get two touchdowns. And then when the Chiefs put the game away with a touchdown, I mean, we had already known at that point the game was over. Miami could not do a single thing. They could not move the football. And like I said, if it wasn't for that broken play they had where Tyreek Hill got open down the field, came back to the ball because it was underthrown, this was a shutout. And even some of the Chiefs players were upset that it was not a shutout. Trent McDuffie was mad that 
he was the one that was picked on against Tyree Kill and that uh, long touchdown pass, uh, they were not as happy that it wasn't a shutout on Saturday night. But as we've said many times before, in the playoffs, you just win and move on. Even if that game was ugly, even if the Chiefs needed a, a late come-from-behind victory, a win is a win. What they did on Saturday night doesn't really mean squat this coming weekend, whether it's Houston or it's Buffalo, which we will know later on this evening around six thirty, seven o'clock, depending if the Steelers are the ones to move on or Buffalo is the one to move on. A quick note on that. If the Steelers win, the Chiefs will play Saturday afternoon at 3.30 at home against the Houston Texans. If the Buffalo Bills win, as they're expected to, the Chiefs will travel to Buffalo and take on the Bills Sunday night at 5.30. A good thing for fans that didn't like the Peacock experience. Neither of those games will be broadcasted on Peacock. They'll be on your local programming. You just have to feel good, though about where things stand for the Chiefs. That might have been their most complete game in, what, two months, two and a half months? Some would say all season. Even though they had to settle for field goals four times in this one, it was a comfortable, dominating win against a team that at one point in the season we were talking about as one of the best in the NFL. Uh, You can put a bit of an asterisk next to it, though, because that team uh, was long gone after they started getting banged up. And maybe if if you want to be a Miami fan that makes excuses, you could put an asterisk next to this game because of the weather, but the Chiefs had to play in the same weather. You know, that's that's the funny part about it. I was seeing all these uh, uh, tweets out there on Saturday night, on Sunday morning of, you know, well, I'd love to see what would happen if this game was on a neutral field, which we already got in the regular season, or if this you know game was in better conditions. And we just don't acknowledge the fact that the Chiefs played on the same field, the same weather, and didn't really have a, a struggle in moving the football. Miami was the only one who struggled in this game. And they can't play in colder temperatures. And that might be a big deciding factor when the Dolphins are going to assess the quarterback position in the offseason. Can you move forward with a guy that can't win when it's going to be the coldest month of the year? I mean, if Miami's ever going to get to a Super Bowl, maybe it's not with Tua. And I'm sure they are asking those questions at this moment as they begin their offseason journey. But for Kansas City, they're going to be breathing for just another week, at bare minimum, another week. They have two more wins to go to get back to the Super Bowl And it's likely they'll have to be on the road for both of those games. But before we look ahead, let's get Jake Gutierrez' thoughts on this game. The Chiefs win 26-7. Dolphins never really threatened the Chiefs. It was a freezer bowl type of game, the frostbite bowl, whatever you want to call it. Chiefs never struggled, though. Patrick Mahomes looked good. Rasheed Rice, a career day. And Tyreek Hill, aside from his one touchdown, had a pretty unceremonious return to Arrowhead Stadium. So your takeaways in the 26-7 win over Miami. Uh, I mean, you, you have to take your hats off to Steve Spagnuolo and, and that defense, especially the, the defensive backfield, Snead in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if, if there's any case, because, I mean, this is a whole different talking point, but once the season has come to the end, uh, how do you figure out a way to keep Jerry Snead? Because he might be one of the best cover corners in the league. Mm. He just shuts a guy down, and, and he just manhandled Tyreek Hill. And that is something you do not see. 
Tyreek Hill does not get manhandled like he does like he did Saturday night in Arrowhead. So um, you have to start with the defense. I, I think that that's you know that's where this team they they finally have, have kind of embraced that identity. Um, you heard Patrick Mahomes talking about it. If you did, and maybe you didn't, he talked about in this post game. You know, playing field position football. Mm-hmm. You know, kicking it and giving them a short field. An unbelievable stat. Believable because it happened, but but a phenomenal stat. Hard hard to conceive that the Dolphins didn't run a play inside the Chiefs' twenty five all day long. Like they they handled the Dolphins and look, weather played into it absolutely. But both teams, like you mentioned, played in it. But one team was was prepared, and the other one didn't see it coming. Um, but I, I also think. A lot that went into that is just the health of the Dolphins. I think if you play that game in a in a dome in Dallas or in a dome in Houston, I you know it, it's going to look a little different. Yep. Yeah, it is. But I still think the Chiefs win that game. Um, I don't think it would have been probably in 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 the fashion they won on Saturday. But hey, that's part of that's part of football. Um, it was great to see, like you mentioned, right from the start, from the very first, they set the tone. Uh, Pacheco running like a like a maniac, and, and then Rasheed Rice was he was the star mm-hmm. uh, because look, Kelsey still had I think seven catches for seventy one, but he had some he had two bad drops, really bad drops. One that would have put them inside the ten if not in the end zone, mm-hmm. and, and so you know the guy that was the most dependable player for the Chiefs for decade, you know had some drops, and and the rookie stepped up. You know, Rice still had one drop, but man, it's hard. To, it's hard to argue his performance—a breakout performance that he had Saturday. But that's that's what they needed. That's what we've been waiting for all year. Um, somebody to step up outside of Kelsey and take over, and that's what happened. It was it was great to see. I think you could kind of see the mentality come through that the Chiefs were just ready for the. For the regular season to be over, they were, um, you know, getting everybody's best shot every week can be a grind, and that's what they were. They were they're the defending champions, so when somebody comes into Arrowhead to play you, you're going to get their best shot, and they did. And also, a couple of those losses look pretty good today. That loss to Detroit, that loss mm-hmm. to Green Bay, those two teams Didn't look too shabby. Yeah, those two teams, you know, both won their playoff game, advanced to the divisional round, so. You know, you lost opening night to the to the Lions. You lost to a what appears to be a pretty damn good Green Bay team. You know, and I'm sure we'll get into that later. But Jordan Love going down to Dallas and just laying the beat down on the Cowboys did not see that coming. I thought the the, the Packers had a really good chance to upset the Cowboys, mm-hmm. and so did my DraftKings account. <laughs> but I did not see in the fashion that they just opened a can of whoop ass on them. Um, so. Back to the Chiefs, I think it's a great jumping-off point. I think, man, either game they get, wow. Um, of course, you'd rather have a home playoff game. Um, of course, you'd rather play a rookie quarterback. Um, I, I I think it's going to be a great game. You can hear it right here on ESPN, Kansas City. Pre-game starts at 3, kicks at 3.30. Um, the Bills and the Steelers, I, I think it's going to be a close game. I think weather is going to dictate that. Um and man, if you get that, I think that's CBS's dream matchup next Sunday. 
Patrick Mahomes going on the road for the mm-hmm. first first time in his career, and he's going into Orchard Park. You know, I, I don't I don't think they could dream up a better matchup, especially especially with the history between the Bills and the Chiefs. Um, and boy, what a matchup that would be! But we can't get ahead of ourselves. This is the reason they play the games. Um, if you know, if anything dictates, you know, anything can happen. And uh, but I. I I think the the Bills still won that game, and the Chiefs end up traveling to Buffalo. But man, uh, what a what a great win for the Chiefs! I think that's a game that that team can really rally around. They can take the momentum from that game, really build on it. Um, and we saw, you know, we saw was it the poor D line of of the Dolphins or the exceptional play of the Chiefs' offensive line, but Patrick Mahomes had all day long. To he sit really there did. And pat the ball, um, you know, and that that helped Rice, you know, get open, you know, some plays to develop a little bit longer down the field. Um, so that was a great thing to see. Mahomes have time, and I think we spent time talking about that last week. You know, this team has looked their worst when Mahomes is running around, when he's getting moved out of the pocket, when he's getting moved off his spot. Um, and that was not the case whatsoever on Saturday night. And so Chiefs move on. Divisional round next week. We're just waiting for the opponent. And uh, it's a, it's an interesting situation to be in for the Chiefs, but I'm, I'm sure Andy Reid and his staff, being that they already played Buffalo once this year, um, will be fully prepared for that that matchup, whether it be the Texans or the Bills. I think both matchups, too, in Kansas City's favor are pretty favorable. If you get Houston at home, it's a home playoff game, and you get a team that is kind of overachieved at this point. They had the number one overall pick, of course, through trade. Uh, it's just a team, though, that hasn't made it this far before, and maybe that's kind of short-sighted. It's just, do you count on a rookie quarterback going on the road with a rookie head coach and beating the defending champs? I'll leave that up to you to make that decision. If it's Buffalo, which Vegas would tell you that's the case, Buffalo's playing in maybe the worst conditions we've seen all season long, and if they win, the Chiefs get two extra days of rest compared to them. Because the Chiefs played on Saturday, they would then play on Sunday, and Buffalo has to turn around and play from Monday afternoon to Sunday late afternoon, early evening. And for those that don't know about Orchard Park, we're going to get into this in in our second segment. There's no heaters on the field like Kansas City has or like Green Bay has at Lambeau. It will legitimately be concrete out there. And there is, you know, 10 inches of snow uh, I just saw a picture this morning of what it looks like, and they're telling the workers right now just to clear off the the staircases in the path, not even to clear off the seats at this point because they're not going to have time. You know, that's the conditions that Buffalo and Pittsburgh is working with, and if this game's close, if it's a, a rock fight, a, you know, drag-it-out type of you know match that we could, you know, hope for, then Buffalo's going to be incredibly battered and bruised waiting for Kansas City on Sunday night. And that's the best-case scenario for the Chiefs if they are to draw Buffalo. If they don't, Pittsburgh pulls off the upset. Well, Pittsburgh will go to Baltimore, and the Chiefs will be hosting the Houston Texans. But I do think there's a lot of people that in the back of their minds are going, is it better we get Buffalo? Because Houston played on Saturday. They've also got... Nothing to lose at this point. And maybe you buy into that, maybe you don't. 
Houston, if they lose to the Chiefs or if they lose to Baltimore next week, nobody is saying they choked. Even if they had a lead in that game, theoretically they choked. But nobody expects them to beat the Chiefs or the Ravens. Nobody. Nobody thought they were going to make the playoffs. Nobody thought they'd win their division. Nobody thought they'd have a winning record. Uh, They got here. The future is bright in Houston, which you couldn't say many times last year or the year before that. In fact, ever since Deshaun Watson left town. But Buffalo, when you compare Houston and Buffalo, Buffalo's got all the pressure in the world. Now, even though Kansas City is the reigning champion, Buffalo's lost to them twice in the playoffs. It's very similar, I believe, even though this is a divisional matchup and not an AFC title matchup. This is just like when Tom Brady and the Patriots came into Arrowhead Stadium for the AFC Championship game. Brady had already gotten his rings. You know, and people were kind of doubting New England at that point. Not everybody, but there were some going, no, they're not going to do it. And when they drew Kansas City for the AFC Championship game, all of that money was coming in on the Chiefs because New England and old Tom Brady couldn't hang with Patrick Mahomes in that offense. You know, they had played earlier in the regular season. The Patriots had won in a shootout in Foxborough. There just was not a lot of pressure on the Patriots in that spot. And I think the Chiefs knew that. And even though they were the young team, the team that hadn't done it yet, it's a mental hurdle of, well, if the Patriots lose, yeah, America's celebrating. As if the Chiefs do lose at any point in the playoffs, America's going to celebrate. But there's also that added pressure of the entire world, the rest of America wants you to beat the Chiefs. Buffalo, for as starved as that franchise has been, as cursed as it's been, of course they want to move on. Nobody's going to say, oh, they'd rather lose and not play the Chiefs. They want to win. I just don't think they want Kansas City. And unfortunately, they can't avoid that. If they win, they're playing the Chiefs. There is no alternative team that they can face. And I think more than anything, they'd wished it was Houston. Or they'd wished that it was, uh, well, I guess that'd be who's ever left. They wouldn't get Baltimore just yet. They would rather, though, play Baltimore in a spot like this than the Chiefs. Because even though I think they want to slay the dragon, they want to exercise those demons against a team that's been their boogeyman for so long, it's still that mental hurdle. I'm sure that the fan base, as exciting as that game will be, assuming they win, you got to have the tension and the nerves of what's at stake. If the Chiefs win again, that franchise is never getting out of this rut. They never will. And even though they could get back to the playoffs next year, if they allow the Chiefs to get to another AFC title game through their doing, and this time being in their own house, that's where things really start to stain a legacy. That's what's on the line for this. There really isn't a loss. Um, you know, even in a weird scenario like this, and then I promise we'll hit break. If Patrick Mahomes hosted the Texans next week and they lost to C.J. Stroud, I would say by all accounts, not a great performance. Uh, that's probably the worst loss in the playoffs for Patrick Mahomes, but also the only thing he's ever bottomed out at is an overtime loss in the AFC Championship game against Joe Burrow and Tom Brady. So the stakes are, not the stakes, the bar's already high. I just don't think it'd be a a legacy stain. Not when you've already won two rings. Not when uh, you've already won two MVPs. For Josh Allen, for this Bills franchise, today you got to take care of business. Of course, you can't look past Pittsburgh, even without T.J. Watt, even with it being Mason Rudolph. Conditions are bad. This should be a low-scoring game, 
and it's going to come down to who takes care of the ball better. And right now, going into it, is is you know Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is a team that can take care of the ball better than somebody like a Buffalo. And who knows if Josh Allen's going to throw the football a lot in this game? Who knows if they'll just rely on the running back duo? I know they brought in Leonard Fournette, but they have James Cook. I don't know. I don't know what the game plan is for Buffalo, but in the back of their mind, I'm sure they're thinking, all right, Sunday is for all the marbles. You lose that game. You lose that game, and I don't know how you get yourself out of it. Three losses in the postseason to the same quarterback, the same coach, and this one in your own house can't really recover from it. But like I said, we're going to talk about these games uh, later on this afternoon. And tonight, coming up in our second segment here, so let's hit our first break of the show. When we come back, let's break down the Bills and the Steelers and the Bucks and the Eagles, also sprinkling in a couple of the games from yesterday. That's next on ESPN Kansas City. It is a victory Monday on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I am your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Jake Gutierrez. Chiefs a winner Saturday night, 26-7 over the Miami Dolphins. They advance to the AFC Divisional Round, and they will await either the Houston Texans, which would be a home game Saturday afternoon at 3.30, or they will travel on the road for the first time in the Patrick Mahomes era and take on the Buffalo Bills at 5.30 coming up Sunday night. So we will await the winner of the Steelers and the Bills, which happens later on today, 3.30, which you said, right, Jake, is right here on ESPN Kansas City. You can listen to that game and should be a fun one, even though you won't get the visual of what this field looks like. If you're out and about driving around, Mm -hmm. check it out. Pre-game at 3, kick shortly after. Should be a good one. Uh, I think you can throw out the fact that it's Mason Rudolph at quarterback. It's T.J. Watt not playing for Pittsburgh. These are awful conditions to play in. Absolutely awful. And like we discussed in the first segment, the Chiefs watching this game should be very relieved to know that either way, I think they have a slight advantage. You get Houston, rookie head coach, rookie quarterback coming to your house in which you are just two wins away from yet another Super Bowl appearance. If it's Buffalo... Right, I think there's the fear of going on the road for the first time. Uh, the Bills are known as one of the hottest teams in the NFL. But the Bills have two less days of rest than you do. And I am not somebody that is ever going to say, oh, well, then root for injuries or something like that. But the reality is, in this spot, if the Bills have guys get banged up, which they're going to be basically paying on, playing on concrete, if they have guys getting banged up, They've got less time to get them healthy and less practice time than the Chiefs have. No, fortunately for the Chiefs, uh, they walked away, I would say, pretty much healthy. I know Rasheed Rice got a little bit banged up at the end of the game, but I think he returned uh, after coming off the field under his own power. Other than that, they didn't really suffer any injuries in a frostbite bowl type of game. Buffalo, they don't have heaters. They don't have heaters on the field, so whatever temperature that turf gets to, it's going to stay at. They're not warming it up. It's not melting anything. It's going to feel like hell getting tackled onto that turf. 
and the snow is everywhere. Um, I'm actually going to look this up now. This is on the fly. We are doing the research at the moment. The wind gust on sa- on Sunday or Saturday, whatever it was going to be when they played, the Sunday afternoon, were supposed to be 70 miles an hour. Today, it appears it's 17 degrees, heavy snow right now. These conditions are expected to last until 12, so only another hour and a half, but they still will have a winter storm warning pretty much all day. But the wind gusts right now are at 25 miles an hour. Not as ridiculous as it was on Saturday and Sunday, but having heavy snow with 25-mile-an-hour wind gusts is not easy to play in. The real field temperature right now is 4 degrees. Nothing about that sounds good. It's warmer. It sounds like a summer's day compared to what happened to Arrowhead Stadium on Saturday night. But I don't think the conditions got a whole lot better in Buffalo. And that's what's going to be so fascinating about this game, how both coaches approach it. You know, Pittsburgh, they're the team rolling in. Nothing to lose here. Any team that's the lower seed, like Green Bay was yesterday, how they got in. Um, Maybe I could say the Rams as well. Tampa Bay tonight. Nothing really to lose. How you got into the playoffs, uh, whether you had nine wins, ten wins, I think Mike Tomlin and Steelers fans are smart enough to know this team's not winning a Super Bowl, but they can ruin someone else's chances, and that right there in front of them is the Buffalo Bills. All the pressure all playoff long is going to be on Josh Allen and the Bills. As crazy as that sounds, I mean, I I could put Baltimore right up there with them, not just because of the one seed, but because Lamar Jackson has to right some wrongs of his postseason narrative. Josh Allen, I think, has to a little bit more because he's had more chances. And he's choked away a couple of games, most notably against Kansas City. A loss to Pittsburgh today, man, that would be maybe a low point in the franchise's history. I know they lost four straight Super Bowls, so maybe I'm not taking into account how badly that affects somebody, but still it's four Super Bowls. You know, and theoretically, one of your last years of the contention window you have, you lose to Mason Rudolph at home. Yeah, I don't know how much lower you can get from that point, especially when you've got a game against Kansas City on the horizon at home with a chance to get to the AFC Championship game. And then at that point, the Chiefs are no longer in your way. You have to take on the winner of the Texans and the Ravens. But as for today's game... I think I'd be much more inclined to take the under. Now, though, I might go Pittsburgh plus 10. You know, in our predictions last week, I think Jake and I both took the Bills to win and to cover. That was before this weather storm hit and before we really grasped just how complicated and just how difficult it is going to be playing in. Now, Pittsburgh's offense, though it's been a little bit better, I think they need the best of conditions to play well. However, the outlier in this game is Josh Allen's turnover proneness, I guess I should say. His lack of comfort when he is to make a big-time throw in certain spots. He's a great quarterback. I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer when it's all said and done. But you're talking about somebody who has 18 interceptions on the year and has fumbled a lot of footballs. 
Uh, he can light you up for 440 yards and five touchdowns, but he may have three interceptions in that. So for Pittsburgh, it's not so much a matter of we got to slow down Buffalo. That goes without saying. Or we have to you know, capitalize when we're in the red zone. That goes without saying. The difference in this game is going to be can they turn Josh Allen over? You know, when Josh Allen has the ball at his own 30, can you jump a route and intercept it to make it uh, an easy an easy 30-yard drive? Not saying it's the the most simple thing to do when it's 10 degrees outside and you're playing in 10 inches of snow, but it's easier than going 75. Everybody knows that. That is really, to me, the only way Pittsburgh stays in this one. You can turn over the Bills a couple of times, set up a short field. Even if you're settling for three, it's points on the board. And the closer this game is late, we know that Sean McDermott is not a great late uh, late game head coach. He's just not. I think he's somebody that tenses up a lot. And even though Buffalo has found a way to win a lot of close games late, I think that's more to Josh Allen in this defense than it is on the head coach. There have been times that he's completely sabotaged uh, late decisions at the end of games. That's what I'm going to be looking for if this one actually is close. Considering how Buffalo has started the last couple of weeks, I'd imagine Pittsburgh can hang around for a quarter or two. But if Buffalo can jump out by 10, I just don't know how Pittsburgh stays within striking distance. It's going to be a tough one. But if there's anything favoring Pittsburgh, it's that the Bills turn it over a lot and they're in conditions that favor a lot of turnovers. Jo- or not, I've said Josh. Jake, is there anything you want to change your mind on before this game kicks off later on today? Are the conditions going to sway you in any yes, way? I'm taking the 10 points. Okay. <laughs> Do you think that's how Pittsburgh has to stay in this thing? Is it's just got to be turnovers? The Bills have to have three or four turnovers? Or is this a way where maybe Mason Rudolph and this offense can thrive in conditions like this? I think they could ball control them. I think they mm-hmm. could. They could. I mean, their running game is is tough. I mean, they have two really tough runners. I think the weather completely gives the advantage to Pittsburgh in terms of ball control. And with those wind gusts, like I, wet, cold, none of those really affect throwing the ball like wind does. Wind is the most uh, significant influencer of, of in terms of weather wise of a quarterback's ability to throw the ball. I do think what you will see, I think you'll see Josh Allen's legs being utilized mm-hmm. a lot more. I don't think you'll see the high-flying Bills running, gunning it with Diggs and, and Gabe Davis. I think that will be there, but I don't think that you're going to see them u- utilize it as much as I, I think you're going to see a lot of running plays, designed running plays with Allen. I think they're going to put that to the, you know, kind of kind of – Try to bully the Steelers, knowing that Watt's not available. And you know, since Watt has joined the Steelers, the Steelers are one in ten without him. Um, I don't think the Steelers win this game. I do think it's a closer game than than expected. And I think a big portion of that is the weather, is the the pressure on the Bills, is the preparation. You know, you think about it as a player, the Bills had to get ramped up. For that first game of the weekend on Saturday, supposed what was it supposed to be a noon kick? Yeah, noon Central, eleven Eastern, mm-hmm. or yeah, that's right, eleven Eastern, noon Central. 
trying to <laughs> – those time zones, they can throw you off a little bit. Um, but to think about that mindset that has to shift when you're getting prepped the night before the game and you're getting amped up and you're mentally preparing and you're getting your assignments done and you're – you're really mentally going through this game that you're about to have, and then it gets postponed. I mean, the buildup to that, um, and then you think about, I mean, the big reason they didn't play this game wasn't because of the weather. It was because the Steelers weren't in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. You, It's really hard to play a football game without two teams. Yep. So you think about the advantage in that situation that the Steelers got to stay home, got to get some extra rest yep. at home. Um, and, and so I think that is a weird thing that players, you really don't have any anything to fall back on preparations. Like, oh, I remember that time that our playoff game got moved and we had to, you know, figure out how we we're going to prepare for a two-day-later game. You know, that, that that's it's a whole different caveat than any of these players have ever seen. And there's a lot of veteran battle-tested playoff players that have on this Bills roster so I think that that is another advantage for the Steelers. With that all said, I still think I think the Bills win this game. I just think it's going to be uh, a lot of clock running, a lot of running the ball, um, and with that, you're going to have less possessions. And mm-hmm. just by that demeanor, I think you're going to see a closer game. I think you know the Steelers are going to keep it close, and, and you know I think ten points is, is a realistic line to. to you know, and Vegas set these sets these lines. They don't say, "Okay, here's the line." We think the Bills are ten points better than the Steelers. Mm-hmm. When Vegas set their line, they're like, "Okay, how can we get as much money as possible on both sides?" Yep. Right, and so it's not that they think that the Bills are a ten plus better p- team. They just think this is the number that we're going to get money on both sides. Yeah. And, and so you know, I think with with. With that said, the weather is going to dictate this being a closer game than expected. And, you know, I see the Bills winning by a touchdown, you mm-hmm. know, four to seven, maybe nine points, but not, ten's tough. But it, it very well could happen. Like you said, they get a couple early scores, um, you know, a, a defensive touchdown, something like that, a fumble return, you know, a pick six, something like that, which we saw in a couple of the other wild card games this weekend, and that just blows things off the doors. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I'm 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 way more excited for this game today than I was for Saturday. I'll tell you that, and I don't know what goes into that. The fact that we get, you know, we get Monday afternoon football. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go. You know, I think almost Pittsburgh. I, the The easy thing to do, I think, going in this game would say, well, bad conditions. We don't want to turn the ball over. Let's run it all the time. I almost think it'd be beneficial for Pittsburgh to come out and almost shock Buffalo's defense with throwing it through the air. Uh, it's exactly what the Chiefs did in the sub-zero temperatures at Arrowhead, right? I think Miami's defense said, all right, they're going to try to run the ball at Pacheco. That feels like a no-brainer. He's a guy that really thrives after contact. Uh, you can play to the offensive line, try to establish the run. Maybe Buffalo is going to be so hell-bent on stopping Najee Harris, which I'm not going to say Najee Harris is one of the toughest running backs to stop. He's still got talent and a 1,000-yard rusher. He runs the ball 25 to 30 times a game, so that's how he usually gets those totals. To me, though, I almost think, man, if, if the Bills are going to sell out defensively, you know, st- stack the box, why not try to run a couple of quick out routes, a couple of quick slants to get Mason Rudolph comfortable? Because the disaster happens when 
Buffalo stops the run, and then you're forcing Mason Rudolph to convert third and tens, third and nines. If you can have a quick slant, set you up with second and three, all right, now let's run the football. Even if you get two, third and one. QB sneak, fall forward, keep the drives alive. I, I almost think Pittsburgh has to have contemplated that, that in weather like this, and you know it's Mason Rudolph at quarterback, they're going to say, we're stopping the run. We're going to have Mason Rudolph try and beat us one-on-one coverage. But Pittsburgh's also got a guy by the name of George Pickens who can win those one-on-one battles. I almost think they should con- consider it. I think Mike Tomlin and the Steelers have always been kind of conservative, uh, especially in the days after Ben Roethlisberger. They're not going to try to shock anybody throwing it 45 times a game. But you have to consider it a little bit here. Because just running the ball up the middle with a non-explosive running back is not going to do the damage you think it is. And they kind of did that against early against the Ravens. Mm-hmm. And it was wet and rainy and, and windy, the Week 18 game that they had to win. Yeah. They came out and threw it a little bit. Now yeah. they weren't they weren't going downfield, right? They were getting the ball spread out wide. They were doing some wide receiver screens, um, and, and honestly, that's the most Steelers football I watched all year long. I was locked into that game. Yep. And even the the commentators were talking about you know Mason Rudolph looked good in that weather. Um, so I don't think that's a bad call on your part. I, they're not, look, Mason Rudolph's not a guy who's just going to start going deep and no. like Kirk Cousins slinging stuff, no. <laughs> right? But he can, you know, he can air it out a little bit and get it to, in the hands of it. He's got some talented wide receivers, and so they can get it. And you know, and those are basically just glorified stretch running plays. Yep. And so that is a, a way to keep, especially if Bills are just stacking, you know, seven, eight in the box. You know, they can. That's a way they can keep them honest. I, I could for sure see something like that. I think that would be a, a good way to, to, to keep the Bills defense honest early. But I still you're gonna see you're gonna see the the Steelers go to what, what they're all about and that's getting the ball on the ground and pounding it. Mm-hmm. I almost think that Pittsburgh would rather play it so safe because uh, they, they don't want Mason Rudolph making that mistake of throwing an interception backed up against their own twenty yard line. Uh they'd much rather, you know, at times Gain seven yards on three plays with Najee Harris and punt it back if they got a three nothing lead. Uh, then try to extend that lead to ten on the off chance Mason Rudolph hits George Pickens and he scampers sixty yards into the end zone. So we'll see if any upset happens. Of course, we've got the Eagles and the Bucks later on tonight. Uh, this really feels like a do or die game for Nick Sirianni. I don't know if you lose this game, how you survive that, especially with the late season collapse and how harsh you know Philly is on their coaches that don't really build off of Super Bowl appearances. So we'll see on that. But for our second break, let's let's hit a quick break here and come back and dive into some quick news in college football yesterday. It was a whirlwind of a day uh, for fans of Kansas, fans of Washington, and fans of Arizona. And before we end our show, I want to give you some quick thoughts on that. So that is coming up next on ESPN Kansas City. We are wrapping up the shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. Hi, I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Jake Gutierrez. Well, yesterday afternoon, I was just, you know, taking it easy in the early parts of the day. I was waiting for the Cowboys and Packers to come on, which, of course, uh, we'll dive into that tomorrow, more so because we want to you know, dedicate a good amount of time in a segment rather than just two to three minutes like we were left with at the end of that uh, second segment today. But I was waiting around for the Packers and the Cowboys and was waiting later on for the Lions and the Rams. 
And in the middle of that afternoon, uh, there starts popping up some news of, well, it appears that Washington, Washington University, I should say, has zeroed in on their next head coach. And it was either Jed Fish of Arizona or Lance Leipold of Kansas. Vegas got a waft of that, and they put some odds down on the next Washington head coach, and Leipold was the front runner. And as I'm seeing these Kansas accounts start to tweet out, beat reporters, I'll be honest, it really felt like in the next 10 minutes or so as I'm sitting on my couch, there was going to be that big breaking news from somebody in college football of Lance Leipold has informed his team he's taking the job at Washington. And to go a little bit further into that, if that was going to be the case, Kansas football would have been sent back a decade again. Uh, The stadium literally is in rubble right now. So they're building a new stadium. If Leipold left, he would have taken Jalen Daniels, Devin Neal, Luke Grimm, Lawrence Arnold, Quentin Skinner, Kobe Bryant, Melo Dotson, every star you can think of would have followed him to Washington. Then, as you've already started the recruiting process, the transfer recruiting, you would have had to start looking for a head coach to bring in a new staff. And, oh, by the way, Leipold would have likely taken the staff. So I think every Kansas fan is bracing themselves for the tweet. And then maybe not 15 minutes After all these Vegas odds had been put out and people are going, man, he's already on his way, Lance Leipold decides to take to Twitter and say, the guys arrive back on campus tomorrow, can't wait to get to work with them in 2024, rock chalk. Then a minute or two later, it's reported Lance Leipold turning down the job at Washington to stay at Kansas. And the relief that I think a lot of Kansas fans had to feel was that this really was, and I could always be wrong, you never know in college football, this to me felt like the last job that Leipold would really want to take. Of course, Michigan could open up and we could be right back here to square one in a couple of weeks. But I will say this about Lance Leipold. Since he took over at Kansas, since the end of 2022, he's been linked to multiple jobs. And he's had to continuously say, I like where I'm at. I plan to be here the rest of my career. Yet every time an opening in the Pac-12, or I guess formerly the Pac-12, and the Big Ten opens up, Lance Leipold is linked to it. Because of his ties to Wisconsin, uh, Big Ten country, he's been linked to it. And this job offer turndown, one signals to me he doesn't plan to go anywhere. Two, I think a huge extension is coming in Lawrence. And I never took Lance Leipold as that guy either uh, to say all these things, want a new stadium, getting a lot of support from donors, NIL packages. They'd sold out the stadium and then go, oh, never mind, I'm leaving, and I'm taking everybody with me. Not at his age. Right, We saw that with Lincoln Riley. Hell, Jed Fish is catching a lot of heat. He's the one who got the job at Washington. Apparently, that meeting took like 10 minutes. He told his team, said, I'm taking the job at Washington, and left. And the players were outraged, and parents were outraged. It did not end well for Arizona, who's coming to the Big 12 and would have had Big 12 title expectations in year one under Jed Fish. Now he's at Washington. 
But for Leipold, he's always stayed consistent, really. He, he's been honest about uh, where he wants to be and the job offers. And a lot of coaches, I think that's the, the uh, lack of trust with fans in college football. We've heard coaches say this all the time. Hey, I'm happy where I'm at. There's no other place I'd rather be. And then the money talks and they leave for another job. Leipold is also over 60 years old. And, by the way, his contract is the fourth highest in the Big 12. Yeah. He's just under Steve Sarkeesian yeah. at $5 million a year. And it's probably going to go up. now. And you can you know, squash any more doubt that he's leaving. I mean, right now, it's not to say you know the Kansas fan to pump out their chest and go, well, why wouldn't you want to be at Kansas? This really is the best time to be the head football coach at Kansas. A shiny new stadium is coming. Uh, you are killing it in recruiting. You've got a lot of players that are sticking with you, right? In the era of transfer portal, Kansas retained mostly all their players. I think they've only lost like three or four guys at the portal, and only one of them, uh, Reed Adams, is the one that transferred to another school where he wants to start, and that's Texas A&M. So, for the most part, Lance Leipold's done a good job of retaining his team, retaining his staff, a new stadium's coming, donors are supporting him, they've had college game day and big noon kickoff for the last two years, and even though I think the one knock is, football will always take a backseat to basketball in Lawrence, Lance Leipold can retire here, have a statue built for him, and they're never going to fire him. If you took the Washington job and they were not in the college well playoffs in two years, he's done. He's out. And I don't think Lance Leipold wants that, to be honest. But he's staying. I think an extension is coming. And to me, with all these jobs that had opened up, Nebraska, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Washington. Maybe the Michigan job will be of interest, but I'll be quite honest with you. I don't think Michigan is going to hire Lance Leipold. I think he's here to stay and stay for good in Lawrence. Well, there is Ray Charles, so it's time to get wraps up another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Jake Gutierrez. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 a.m. You take it easy, Kansas City. I'll have to pack my things and go. That's right, you can roll, Jack. Don't you come back.